Welcome back to Red Dice Diaries with John. Hi. And Hannah. And today we're going to be talking about animal companions. Yep. So this episode in part was spurred by a number of people in response to some of our previous episodes on voicemails, some of which you'll hear on Thursday, and via other communications, mentioning the film Beastmaster from 1982. And it was mostly related to the the sort of bat-like people in it who wrapped up and digested their foes because that's something we were suggesting in our cloaker episode Mm -hmm. but as we were watching it love you were saying uh, it might be an interesting idea to talk a little bit about animal companions in terms of role play so Mm -hmm. love animal companions so yeah uh for people that aren't familiar with the movie i thought i'd seen it but it wasn't the film that I remembered. I've no idea what film I was remembering. Yeah, I know I've seen it when I was like very young, but I've not really seen it since, so it, mm-hmm. it was almost new for me as well. <laughs> but there's a guy who is your classic druid... Sorry, is your classic barbarian character who the bad guys have burned his village and yeah. he's wandering on his own through the wilderness. He wears a loincloth, he's very buff... He's got blonde hair and a little gold circle on his head. Yeah, he's basically the film version of, like, He-Man. Yeah. Um, and he picks up a series of animal companions as he goes through this movie, mm-hmm. and they help him out at various points in the movie. And Yeah, and he has a... Um, he has a, At the start, he has a dog that gets killed. Then he has, he has a hawk. He has, like, the two, like, ferrets. Um, the sort of panther-slash-tiger... And um, does he have anything else? I think that's it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you kept asking about the horses, because all the bad guys had horses. Yeah, and I was just wondering, like, oh, he's supposed to have these powers where he can like, look at an animal and he can sense their thoughts and communicate and basically tell them what to do. And, like, the amount of times he gets charged by, like, barbarians and, like, evil bad guys on horses. And I'm like, why don't you just get the horse to, like, rear up and, like, turf that guy off it? Well, as I've pointed out, there's a couple of things that were special about the animal companions compared to the bad guys' horses. First up, they were wild animals. They weren't domesticated animals. Second up, they didn't have a human sitting on their back pulling their face around, which is probably very distracting whether somebody's trying to communicate with you telepathically or not. Yeah, so I, think the, I agree with you, your first fact. I see your point about them being domesticated animals. The only thing I'd say against the whole, like, they've got someone sat in the back and pulling them around is if you can communicate with them and go, just, like, rise up and, like, flip backwards, and then you won't have that guy on your back, like, pulling your head around. That seemed like quite a good bargaining chip if you're the old beast master to me. Yeah, but if you're the horse that's done that a few times and got a whip in for it, you might not be quite so willing to do that for a complete stranger that just invaded your head. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it it depends on how much you see the Beastmaster's um, powers as, like, persuading them to do stuff Mm -hmm. and how much it's him actually controlling them. Because there's certain points where it seems like he's directly controlling them in the film and then there's other bits where it's sort of described or portrayed more as, like, he's just communicating with him and they're helping him because they're, like, his friends and stuff like that. Yeah, it does seem to imply that the animals have got their own agency in it. But, anyway... You'd have to watch the film. Yeah, I highly, highly recommend it. Go and give it a watch. If you like some cheesy, like, 1980s, like, swords and sorcery, which 
is never going to win any awards for like original plots because we've all seen everything <laughs> in it. Done probably done far better yeah. by other films. However, it's just an entertaining, cheesy fantasy romp, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, uh, and quick note: that's not a good way to start a conversation with a girl. But yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> so in first ed, okay, I had a look through the player's handbook, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find any specific bits about animal companions except for one thing all right okay now i'm sure our audience probably knows these books far better than i do i've not spent much time looking at the first ed books except when we've been recording the podcast yeah but the only bit that i could find in first ed for that sort of a thing is that the druid has this first level spell called animal friendship yeah. And with this spell, you can gain permanent animal companions. Okay. You basically roll for the animal, save versus magic, when the spell's cast. Mm-hmm. If it fails the save, then it just becomes friends with the druid. It'll follow them about. They can teach it up to three tricks. Um which can't be complex, so as difficult as a trick you could teach a dog. And then as you get higher levels, you can attract more hit dice worth of animal companions. Is there any limit on on how many animal companions you can have? Because it sounds to me a bit from listening to you talk about it that it's vaguely similar to the major spell that allows them to summon a familiar, but they can only have like one at a time. Is there any sort of limit on this? or Up to two hit dice of animal per level. Right, okay. So you've got to multiple animals, but they'd be weaker than if you just had one animal. Yeah. That's cool, that makes sense. And that particular spell basically represents what the guy's doing in that particular movie. Obviously, within the game... Yeah. Now, you said mages get a spell to summon familiars. I've not looked at that one in a sec. Yeah, if, if I remember correctly while you're looking for it, uh, they... Like familiar, I can't remember exactly what edition that started in, but their familiars tend to be like either like imps or like small animals, you know, like crows and mice and stuff like that. That the um, the mage that sort of like becomes supernaturally loyal to the mage, and he can sort of like influence his behaviour and stuff like that. That's that's as far as I remember how it works. Anyway, monster summoning. It might not be a thing in first ed. I don't know. Doesn't seem to be. Do correct us if we're wrong, audience. But then... Second ad... Yeah. It became sort of a different thing. Okay. In that you've got proficiencies, non-weapon proficiencies, that allow you skills with animals. So animal handling, animal law, animal training. Right. Which... Between them, you could have an animal companion equivalent to a druid if you're willing to buy those proficiencies for your character. Yeah, I think this was like the first attempt by like AD&D to sort of like crowbar like a skill system into the game, mm-hmm. wasn't it, really? And by third ed... So we've got skills a go-go. Yeah, and pretty much anyone can have an animal companion. Although I know in third ed, the familiar spell you were just talking about was definitely a thing by then. Yeah where certain types of spell users could effectively summon animals that were more than just a pet for the character. 
another example as well that we've got in terms of animal companions so go back to what we're saying earlier about horses is obviously the paladin where they tend to get like a a, a holy man that that appears for them and that they sort they have in some of the versions they have to do like a little ceremony to like summon this horse and again it's supernaturally loyal and more intelligent than a normal horse and if it dies you have to like redo the ceremony you can't just go out and get another horse uh, i know you were looking at the dolman wood book and the animal companions in there what's that called? yeah well dolman wood is um, a necrotic gnome sort of like fairy tale forest setting for old school essentials and any other sort of older versions of D and D that was originally done as a number of zines, the Wormskin zines, and at the moment, um, Gavin Norman is working on like doing a, a couple of books, which are like hardback books, and doing like a, a full together version of it. And I, I'm lucky enough, due to having like help with some of the initial playtesting, I've got some of the very early versions of them, and in that is a sort of variant ranger class called the hunter and one of their abilities that they have is that they can attempt to forge a bond with an animal and if it's successful the animal becomes a loyal companion so the way this works is you can only have a single animal companion if they die or is dismissed the hunter can forge a connection with a new animal both wild and domestic animals may be companions. Giant or magic animals may become a hunter's companion at the referee's discretion. Animal species of human-level intelligence are not suitable. Mm-hmm. An animal companion may not have higher hit dice than the hunter's level. And in order to establish a connection with said animal, the hunter must approach them in a peaceful manner and they make a reaction roll, which is basically a 2d6 roll. Um, you get a plus one bonus to it and your normal charisma modifier added. Mm -hmm. If the result's eight or more, the animal becomes your companion. Once you've made that connection and they're cemented in as your companion, they'll follow the hunter everywhere. They understand basic commands, even if the species wouldn't normally do so. They'll fight to defend the hunter and they never have to check morale. So they'll never run away like when the going gets tough. So that seems not exactly like what they have in Beastmaster because obviously mm-hmm. there's more of a sort of mystical magical connection to that but I quite like this idea of like that it's just an innate ability that that class has you don't mm-hmm. have to worry about casting a spell or anything it's just something that class can do and like I say it's like a ranger variant and I know like people who play rangers like oftentimes I'd love to have like an animal companion or like a pet or something with them which I, I'm not against to be honest it, it's not really my deal but you know it, it adds something interesting to the game so see this is the next bit that I wanted to get into because I know we've played with people who really really love to have an animal companion yeah preferably two or three of them if possible and then I know you yourself are not really bothered about it you see it as a useful game mechanic sometimes if it's appropriate to the character. Yeah, if it, if it, if it works for the character, then, uh, for instance, um, my friend John Drury was running a, or still is running an irregular Dresden Files Accelerated game, and I'm playing a Valkyrie in that, and I've basically got a stunt that means you're like, you're kin to ravens. So although I don't have an animal companion, there's normally quite a lot of ravens around, and I'm like talking to them and stuff like that. But for me... It's always been a case of if it's if it's just something that like is touched on occasionally, that's great. But effectively, it's another NPC that's always knocking around with the parties. So mm-hmm. there's two ways to play that. Either I've got to like play another person, and I'd rather concentrate on playing my character, or the GM's got to do it, and the GM's got enough work. Or I can just sort of have it there as like an occasional thing and not really paying much attention. And I'm like, well, if that's the case, had I may as well have just not put my time into something else. Mm-hmm. 
But like I said, that's just my opinion. So you sort of touched on a couple of things there that I wanted to go over. Okay. One being like the fact that some people are enthusiastic for this and some people aren't. And that with the right player group, you could make some really interesting themed games. Oh, yeah, I mean, for some people, it's like Pokemon, you know, like anytime you see an animal, you've got to, like, grab it. Indeed, yeah. Um, I have made a note of, like, the Pokemon world is very much that kind of thing. Um, The His Dark Materials world, you might consider to be that as well, with um, Lyra and the Demons, Northern Lights, that story. Yeah. Um, Some player groups might really go for something like that, so if you've got an idea for it... It could be really interesting, but you'd need to make sure you'd got the right player group that yeah. really wanted to get into it. I, I think the I think the danger, well, one of the dangers as well with animal companions, and I don't mean to sound like a naysayer, mm-hmm. is that because there's there's an extra like amount of mechanics involved because it, it is an extra NPC. Even if even if you have no characterization of like your pet wolf or whatever, and it's just like it makes an extra attack. Mm-hmm. most gems will normally either say oh the wolf just acts on your turn or it it might roll separately but either way effectively that player has sort of like doubled up their time in the spotlight now that's with one animal if somehow you manage to wangle a number of them can you imagine being in like a combat in a game and let's say there's four people in your adventure party so it comes to your go you take your couple of actions moves on to the next person you take your couple of actions it gets to like ranger supreme or to in his go and he's like oh i'll take my action now i'll take my first animal action now i'm gonna take my second animal action now i'm gonna take my third animal action and so on and so, so forth but it, it, it might tie up the game so that it can't get round to the other players so ways that i could suggest to not necessarily remove that but make it less irksome yeah for one thing, you don't need to have an animal companion in every single situation where you're rolling dice. Your animal companion doesn't yes. need to roll dice as well. Your eagle doesn't care about how difficult it is to get across that rope bridge. You know, that sort of thing, you, you can take it into consideration. Um, but also, if everybody has got these companions of some sort, then everybody is involved in that mechanic in some way. Yeah. And what I would probably suggest would be that, obviously, you'd have to work this slightly differently on Zoom or whatever, but in a classic tabletop situation, the person on your left rolls for your animal companions. Hmm. You roll for the person on your right's animal companions. That way, everybody's more involved in sort of supporting that part of the story. Now, I've got another suggestion as to what you mm-hmm. could possibly do for it. Instead of having like the animals roll separately, just have them provide a modifier or a bonus to the, the player character's role. So let's, so let's say, for example, again, to take the archetypal sort of like ranger with a wolf companion, you say, like, all right, the, the wolf stays by your side. If you wanted to do something like non-combat-y, like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to get the wolf to sniff out whether it can sense a trail or whatever, that's fine, you just roll with that. If, oh, I see our own animal companions decided to turn up, you're right, Fanta. Meow. So, but yeah, if you once you get into combat to the business end of things, and the wolf's like at your heels, when you make a roll to attack, instead of saying right, make your players attack, make your player character attack, right, make your wolf attack, just say make your attack. You're going to get X 
plus bonus because you've got the wolf jumping in as well and you're going to do x amount of extra damage because as you're stabbing the monster the wolf is also biting them and that's mm -hmm. still just one roll few modifiers it's all nicely dealt with it still takes the same amount of time for one person to have their turn you got something else to add that's very informative although i can't i can't lay any claims to us being beast masters we're more like biscuit masters as far as the cats are concerned yeah, that's okay. right, isn't it? I've not got any with me. And you missed out on the bacon bits earlier because you were asleep. Yeah, sit down then. Good girl. So... Another option would be to effectively have most of the player group be playing the animals and one either NPC human or no humans. Um, a story like The Musicians of Bremen, a story like The Beastmaster's story, that kid was pretty cardboard cutout for a lot of it. It was the animals that made the story. Yeah, but I, I see you pulling that face. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's all right if, like, you've specifically set up a game to say, mm -hmm. right, you're all going to be playing animals. If I like turned up for like a D and D game and like I was spending more time playing someone else's animal companion than my own character, I can't really say I'd be down for that. Absolutely. Again, I said, this would be for the right player group. I've turned up to play D and D. So one other thing that I wanted to do for this episode was have a look at a couple of specific like scenes in that movie okay. and things that they did with the animal companions that I thought were fairly interesting. Okay. Yeah. And. The first one that I want to suggest is about ten minutes into the film. Um, shortly after he's met the ferrets, uh, he got himself in a mess. He got the ferrets to help him out of that mess. One of them got in trouble, and then he saved the ferret. Yeah, when he was in the quicksand. Yeah. So then they go on, and a little bit further down the road, there's some guys hassling a big cat. And we weren't quite sure whether it was a panther or a tiger, or some... Yeah, because it, it has it like the black coloration, like a cat. panther, but it also had the stripes, didn't yeah. it, you could see. But anyway, cool-looking big cat. Yeah. Um, but they got it tied down, and they're pestering it with spears and stuff. And the guy's like, yeah, we're going to go and rescue this big cat. Yeah, and they were, they were doing it while they were delivering the um, the stunning vocal lines that would uh, mark the bad guys throughout all of this film of, yeah, <laughs> which seemed to be all they could actually say during the entire film, <laughs> apart from, like, evil McIbrows, who was the leader. <laughs> so what contribution can a ferret make to a fight with, like, three or four sort of burly minions? Okay, well, I mean... And what they did was they had them distract one guy. Yeah by stealing an arrow from his crossbow, which is not a very big thing. You've got, you've got the bit later on where they got that guy's trousers <laughs> as well to like distract him. Yeah, uh, but it was such a little thing, but it was enough to tip the fight so that the player character could go in and win. Yeah, and I mean... I could and it, as you say, it didn't require any dice rolls. It just got one minion out of the way. OK, there's your ferret moved across the board. There's the minion out of the battle area. You've now only got three to fight for a minute or two. Well, I mean, with that, I could see that you could... Um, whereas, you know, I was talking about giving positive modifiers, like when it, the minion's helping 
the animal companions helping mm -hmm. your character i would just see the then you've just flipped it to a, a minus mm -hmm. modifier because it's inconveniencing the bad guy it, it just struck me as like a very nice neat little yeah, it, example it, it is, of a I mean, really good use of an animal companion i, I could see it working in dnd because like you say all they did was like snatch an arrow from his like crossbow and um but each combat round in dnd only takes like seconds so if you think if something ha delays you by like six to ten seconds you've lost that you've lost that round of actions so it wouldn't take a great deal. I mean, how many times during a day, on average, do you like get distracted by something and you pause for like a few moments? If you do that in a D&D &D combat, you've missed your go. That's it. So another really good use of an animal companion as far as like story goes. Yeah. A bit later on, he's fighting with some other bad guys and the panther, tiger, big cat went chasing after a guy on a horse. Yeah. It ended up in a pit with this guy... Yeah, he was got a crossbow, wasn't it? ...holding a crossbow above it. And then, new player character introduction. Oh, yeah, Seth. As, as the new player character appears... Like, and aye, sees, aye, someone's rolled up a monk. ...sees this guy about to slaughter this poor defenceless animal and boots him into the pit with it. Yep where the animal is no longer defenceless and quite able to deal with the person that was trying to kill it. And it, it is that line where it's like, when you find yourself face to face with the animal on its own terms, maybe you will find out you are not so strong after all, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was very D&D &D monk. Uh, it pretty much turned up as soon as he like, I was like, oh, he's got a rope, he's got a staff. And when him and the boy like spun him round... <laughs> Like both together, yeah. like in time with each other, I was like D and D monks. Very, very D and D monks. But it did serve as like a great way to introduce those two characters to have them not have to deal with the player character until they've sort of been able to demonstrate to that player character by their actions, yeah, where they stand effectively. I mean, I think it could make a very interesting scene, as you were saying, like, um, when you do your animal companion, in, even if you've made the role to, like, get the animal companion, instead of just being like, there's your animal companion, like, maybe doing a little scene where, like, both you and the player know that, like, you're going to get the animal companion, but do a little scene where, like, oh, I don't know, like, the wolf's been caught in a trap and you, like, you, like, take the trap open and, like, bandage his leg or whatever, mm -hmm. or the villagers are, like, trying to hunt down the bear and you help it and it'll just add like a little bit of extra flavour to why you gave the animal companion rather than it just being like boop bears join your adventuring party yeah um so obviously there's a lot of standard uses for animal companions you've got them um, sneaking in and out of places that a player character wouldn't fit through yeah bit the old scouting as well scouting doing fetch and carry and yeah. we've mentioned thieving already with the weasel things yeah. i mean obviously one of the advantages in terms of like scouting reconnaissance and stuff like that is uh, a lot of animals have methods of locomotion that most sort of like normal races in D, D don't share so obviously if you get like a hawk it can fly it can just ignore certain things that would be an obstacle for you so you might be like i need to know what them guards are up to on the top of that castle well i can either like climb that castle and risk getting shot and going through the hardship of that, or I can just ask the hawk to like fly over mm -hmm. and like tell me tell me what's going on. Mm -hmm. Or like likewise, if you've got an aquatic animal, there's a limit to how long you can hold your breath. But if you've got some sort of like amphibious animal or something that can go on land and water, maybe you can set you come across like a deep lake and you're like, oh, how deep is that lake? You can send your 
your animal companion in or to check the way out and stuff like that or maybe even like an animal that can see better in darkness than you can so yeah um any other uses of animal companions that you want to talk about well i think obviously we, we've already sort of touched on it but obviously you've got the sort of combat support role mm-hmm. where effective and you've got the sort of if you want to look at it this way you've got the sort of like hit point reserve role where if you're fighting a monster like a big monster and there's you and three other members of your party the monster has a choice of four people to hit assuming you're all around it and they're all player characters whereas if you throw in like a few sort of disposable npcs or like animals suddenly it's got like a wider choice so you're spreading that any possible damage out amongst multiple targets so each target individually is taking less damage so instead of being like oh two people have got hit and they've each taken like 10 points of damage you stretch it out to four suddenly it's only like five points of damage to each of them which is much more manageable on an individual level so you could use them for that like i said we've talked about scouting um there's various other bits and pieces most of which rely on the animals having senses to a degree that we don't have so we mentioned like the wolf with it being able to scent things and follow trails and mm-hmm. stuff like that so I, I think there's a lot you can do with an animal companion but i think to bear in mind just to just sort of how much spotlight time has been devoted to it because I've certainly been in games where there's been like people who are like mad about having various different animals, and if they're not spending like half an hour talking about how what each animal's doing and like moving each animal about and like coming up with detailed plans involving each animal, they're not happy. Whereas the rest of the player characters who are sat there like listening to like three hours worth of someone talk about what they want their pets to do, it's not exactly riveting. Mm-hmm. But if used judiciously and with a bit of a light touch, they can add a level of interest to a game. And the the sort of like the beast master, for want of a better term, is a fairly archetypal concept within fantasy. We all know the ranger who's got the wolf, or the guy who's got the hawk and stuff like that, or the the thief who's trained a small animal to go and steal things for him. So I think it's worthwhile just giving a little bit of thought about how you'd want to include that in your game if you do, without letting it overtake your entire game. So, there you go. That's half an hour on Animal Companions. Indeed. If you've got anything you would like to say to us about Animal Companions or anything else, you can get in touch with us in one of two ways. You can leave us a message on the SpeakPipe website. There'll be a link in the description down below. Or you can send us an email to oddrpgpodcast at gmail.com we really do enjoy listening to your call-ins so thank you very much we hope you've enjoyed that episode on animal companions take care and whenever you're playing have fun we'll see you soon bye one other thing about that beastmaster movie you don't often see a manly man in a movie crying because someone said something mean to him that king, that king was a bell end, though. He did. I, I would have cried if someone had said that to me in that way as well.